Your kid could have written Harry Potter by now, but look at them. They're just laying around watching screams. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. But don't they like it better when you make hot dogs for dinner? With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. It's pizza, smoothie, cookie, smoothie, pizza, pizza, smoothie, cookie. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Get it together, parents. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about bare minimum parenting. This is such an important topic, guys. This is how little parenting can we humanly get away with and still be considered parents. We got this idea from James Breakwell. You guys may know him as Exploding Unicorn on all the social medias. He's got 100 bajillion followers. He's hilarious. He tweets out all this funny stuff about life as the dad of four daughters. And so he has a new book coming out and it's called Bare Minimum Parenting, The Ultimate Guide to Not Quite Ruining Your Child. And it's a really funny book and we're going to interview him later in the episode, but this inspired us. Yeah, this is a great topic. I mean, this is this is how we roll. This is how I roll. I don't think this is really how you roll, Amy, but this is definitely how I roll. It is less how I roll, but I love these ideas. We went to all of you guys on Facebook and Instagram, where What Fresh Hell cast on both of those places, and we asked you guys, what's an area of your parenting where you've actually gotten greater rewards by stepping back and doing less, maybe even the bare minimum? And as usual, you guys were like, with the answers. (laughs) Here is the correct answer from Facebook. I think we should start off because it's something that's near and dear to my heart as the mother of a six-year-old girl with fashion and clothing choices and how to do the least in this arena. Okay, go ahead. Laura says fashion choices. As long as they're dressed for the weather, they can wear whatever they want. We've had some interesting outfits over the years. Liz says true for us too. Carol, absolutely dressed for the weather. Tennis shoes on PE day and shorts under skirts and dresses. I differ on this. You know, you know, the shorts in the wintertime is the hill that I have died on. One of the biggest ongoing fights on this podcast is me trying to convince Amy that it does not matter if her kids wear shorts in the wintertime. Well, Laura does say as long as they're dressed for the weather, they can wear whatever they want. So maybe Laura's more with me than I thought. They need to not be dressed impractically, but then you don't care about what it is. And from my point of view, they do not need to be dressed practically. They need to be dressed. (laughs) I don't care about shorts in the winter. They'll be cold and they'll either figure it out. My son has been incredibly insistent that he won't wear a jacket. And in New York, we went from like 80 degree days to 30 degree days in a day. And so I just kept saying to him, you have to wear a jacket. And he would say, no. And I would say, put it in your backpack and go. And then he would say, I'm cold. And I'm like, oh, good. Because there's a jacket in your backpack. Like throw it in their backpack if you want. But like, why do I care if they're cold? It's his fault. Yeah. But you're still like, put the coat in. And then when he needs it, he has it. I'm trying to find the bottom of bare minimum parenting. Like, but you're still like protecting him when he's like, oh yeah, I did mess up. Yeah. I mean, throw a pair of sweatpants that lives in his backpack if you want, but he'll be cold. It's fine. So my kids wear uniforms to school and my son, one of my sons, often has Nutella and stuff on his shirt. Sometimes I'm like, you got to go change. And sometimes I'm like, whatever, go with Nutella on your shirt. I don't care. How would you come down on that? Yeah, I usually send them and I usually send them with the Nutella on their shirt. I draw the line at wearing an outfit to school, sleeping in it that night and wearing it back to school the next day. That's my (laughs) rock bottom of bare minimum. I'm like, you can't actually go to school where everyone at school will know that I just let you slept in your clothes and go again. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I'm not here to judge moms who do. I'm just saying that is rock bottom for me. And also, like Justine says, my son can wear whatever he wants. Bren says, I don't care about matching socks. She says it's slightly more colorfully than that. And I agree. And I have a six-year-old daughter who truly dresses oldie locks alert. Back in my day. Like Punky Brewster, which was a show back in the olden days about a little like... I don't know, street urchin-y kind of a kid. That was basically what the whole show was about. They hung an entire multi-season sitcom on that. She had wacky outfits. My daughter, who's never seen Punky Brewster because it hasn't been on in like 35 years, is the second coming of Punky Brewster. Like she wears, and she gets a ton of hand-me-downs. So she has an unbelievable closet full of dresses. And then she just dresses. The only thing I do make her I occasionally send her back up and I'm like, you're not actually wearing clothes. Like she will occasionally come down in tights and a t-shirt and I'm like, nope, that's not actually clothes. You have to go back upstairs <laughs> until you're wearing clothes. But then her methodology is just to keep adding things until I tell her she's wearing clothes. So sometimes it's like tights, short shorts, and then a tutu. Like, And then I'm like, okay, now you're wearing clothes. But I do on the first day of school every year go to her teachers and say, I just want to explain something to you on day one, and then we're not going to discuss it again. She picks her own clothes. It's such an opposite thing when it comes to grownups. I I just walked by a really fetching sort of vintage shop the other day in New York City on a block I'd never happened down before. And there were these vintage clothes in the window, like sort of sort of like 50s housewife, but super cool, like rock this town, rock it inside out kind of outfits. And part of me, there was a little bit of me that almost wanted to go in. Then I thought, I cannot. I cannot do the adult punky Brewster thing. Like I don't have the brain power, the bandwidth for that. I wear the same thing every day. I wear like skinny black pants and a sweater and boots. That's what I wear every single day in my nine months out of the year. So for me, bare minimum fashion for myself is just like wear the same thing every day, like Mark Zuckerberg. But for your daughter, it's a sort of maximum fashion attention that requires minimum zhuzhing from you. Yeah, I just let it go, as do most of our Facebook commenters, and I think this is right. Like, whatever you want to wear, as long as your basic body areas are covered, and I would say, I don't care if you're cold, but maybe, you know, bikini top in, you know, you're not going to school in, like, as long as the basics are covered, you're good. You know what I'm going to say, though? What? I think this was a good one to start with. I also think it's easy. Easy, easy, very, very easy. It's an easy one to bare minimum, I think. Let's let's go right down to the deep end of the pool, Amy. Talk about homework. Yeah, homework is at least, it's harder for me to be, okay, don't do it, get an F, who cares? Like, that is not me. No, that's not in your DNA. You're not going to do that. But I will say a lot of our commenters, Downey says, homework, I stopped helping about mid-elementary school, couldn't take the crying anymore. Yvonne says, same here. My kid handles their own. L, you guys are inspiring. We haven't started homework yet, but I'm going to keep these wise words in mind. I mean, basically a lot of the feedback was leave your kid on their own for homework. And I have to say, I'm not bare minimum here. No, me neither. I'm not. I'm still helping with the homework. So I have a fifth grader, a third grader, and a first grader. I mean, it depends on your kid, too. I feel like my first grader, I don't help her with her homework, and I probably never will. She's just missed, like, oh, we got an awesome assignment, and it's draw pictures that match the words, and she runs off and does it. I mean, she doesn't want help. She doesn't need help, but she is incredibly self-motivated. She loves school. My two boys, however, I feel like I need to know what they're learning and not learning. I need to keep an eye on how they're doing, where their struggles are. And so I am pretty in the mix with homework. And I have to say, last night, we had that kind of horrendous homework-related nightmarish session where 
all of us ended up in tears and it was horrible. It is. It's the worst. And I, I just had teacher conferences this week for two of my kids. And I'm trying to be a really good parent to the teachers. I took all our own advice from uh, two weeks ago. Anyway, my kids need help with homework. My kids need support. They are missing stuff. And these teachers are asking me to support. So then I think you got to step up. But I also think, you know, we were talking last week about tantrums and helping kids with tantrums and you can't be there their soothing touchstone. And homework is the perfect example where if you're sitting there holding their hand while they're frustrated with their homework assignment, they end up yelling at you and crying at you about the homework. It's your fault, mom. And yet I do agree you need to find the minimum, which might not be the bare minimum, of being there to to keep them from getting a zero, but not there to clean up all their messes for them or do it for them. Absolutely. And I, I'm working on this. I mean, I am trying. This is the other thing we talk a lot about the neutral arbiter, like the whiteboard tells you what's for dinner, not me. Therefore, you're not screaming at the whiteboard. I have been trying to find like in middle school, they start doing after school homework help as the last period of the day. If you have a free period, I've been trying to encourage my kids to go to that. Like trying to get out of the middle of homework is something I'm really trying to do. I've also ceded some of that to my husband because it's like, okay, can you help with the homework so that I only have to yell at them about the 98 other things and he can kind of be homework guy. And so there are ways around it. I think in an ideal world, yes, you're backing out of the homework as much as humanly possible, but I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that's what I do. I will say this does get better that I have, well, I guess it depends on the kid, but I have a 10th grader who needs zero oversight on his homework. And all, I just wait for the report cards to show up. So I realize that's the goal. And with some kids, you get there. And if your kid isn't there yet, don't also, I think, thrash yourself on top of it. I'm not supposed to be helping and I am. And that must make me a bad parent that I'm not checked out enough. Do what needs to be done. But I think constantly sort of check yourself. Are you are you over-involved? Amy, are you ready to go back in time? Gotta go back in time. Have you seen Teen Titans Go? Yes. They're not sponsoring us, guys, but Teen Titans Go is such a funny movie. Wait, it's a movie? Yeah, Teen Titans Go to the Movies. They're so funny, but they sing that song in the movie. And now my kid's really into it. And it makes me laugh. I'm like, uh, that's my song, baby. Let's talk about potty training because everyone weighs in with my same potty training philosophy. I don't remember where you come out on potty training, but Erica says potty training. You can train until they are ready or you can train when they are ready. Way less work and way less stress for the household when I just waited instead of trying to force what I thought they should be ready. This is exactly my point of view. I have said this all the time. I just waited until they were like three and it took a day and a half as opposed to 18 months and it took you three months. With the big boy bed and all that stuff, I'm just like way overweight on this stuff and then it's super easy. Okay, Amy and I are in exact agreement here then because yeah, my mom always tells the story that my brother who was like, a is a very bright guy and just was an early speaker and just kind of an annoyingly extraordinary child, but she just sat him down when he turned three and she went, look, if you want to go to big boy school, you got to poop in the potty. And they was like, okay. He just took up his diaper. That was potty training. And I didn't quite have that experience. But basically, when you can reason with a kid, and I had a three-year-old when I had my last, and I had really gotten my three-year-old out of diapers. And then he had kind of a regression as a result of the baby coming home. And let me tell you, three in diapers, guys. I had three in diapers. And still I waited. But I agree with that. Like, I think bare minimum parenting argues that in that moment when you have a newborn, like just, yeah, give it another three weeks. Cut yourself a break and put the pull-up back on until you are sleeping more than 90 minutes at a time and, and can deal with it. I think that's okay. 
I mean, so much of this bare minimum parenting goes to everything we talk about, which is like, take care of yourself and don't worry about whether or not you're doing it correctly. If you're happy, you're doing it correctly, guys. That's a good point. And the other thing with the potty training, I would say, is it brings up another sort of general rule of thumb for bare minimum parenting, which is let societal pressure do a little bit of the work for you. Potty training is the perfect example of as soon as nursery school or day camp, my daughter really wanted to go to a camp where you couldn't go in diapers. And all I had to do was, you know, casually muse aloud in her presence a few times that I was really hoping she was going to be able to go to that camp this summer, but they just didn't take kids in diapers. It did the work for me. Let the thing they really want to do be the the switch that flips it for them. Absolutely. And while we're talking about babies and toddlers, I don't know how you say her name, Nirelli? I have a baby one. Sometimes I'm bouncing, singing, patting, and I realize I'm doing too much. I take a step back and try to let her settle herself. And I just sit there or rock her gently. Sometimes she needs a little space too. Mm. And Hannah says, when my toddler wants to be picked up, I give him by wearing him. He gets the attention he wants. I get both hands free to make dinner. Everyone wins. It's so true that I didn't figure out the baby wearing thing until my third. And I think people perceive that from the outside as the most like over the top attachment parenting, hovering, you know, like doing way too much wearing your child. But it actually is totally bare minimum parenting. Your kid thinks that you're carrying them. You're not. You have two hands free, but they're happy and you can go about your business. Where are the kids? That's that's what we're taking away from that bare minimum. All right, guys, that's a lot of bare minimum parenting advice, but we have even more. But first, we are going to come back with our interview with James Breakwell. We'll be right back. Bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I am actually happy when I open my sock drawer and I see those Bombas peeking out. Amy, they spark joy. I'm glad to hear that. And you wouldn't think that socks could spark joy, but I know that you're right because I feel the same way. I mean, who would have thought it, Amy? Who would have thunk it? They're like a little bit of happiness in my morning when I have Bombas to put on because they they just get all the little details right. The cotton is snuggly in a way that I can't fully express. There's no toe seam. <laughs> And there's a part across the middle that's like knit a little differently. So it sort of hugs the arch of your foot. It makes me happy. And I don't care what people say. I love Bombas. I want you to work on expressing about the toe seam, Amy. That's an assignment for (laughs) you. These socks do more than keep your feet cozy though, Amy. For every pair you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. We're talking 34 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of three thousand giving partners. Give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash laughing. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash laughing for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash laughing. Beachbody On Demand is back as a sponsor this week. If you're like me, you discovered online fitness as a way to keep your sanity during these last couple of months. And with Beachbody On Demand, you get instant access to 1,300 different workouts you can stream anytime. I first learned about Beachbody, and you may have too, from P90X, which is an insanely effective workout, I will say, fun and highly intense. But Beachbody also has yoga, bar, dance. There's a kids and family collection to get everybody moving. It's a huge, huge range of classes. And some of the classes get you results fast. By the time it would have taken you to drive to the gym, you did the 10-minute trainer, you're done. You can use Beachbody on your computer, tablet, phone, smart TV, anywhere you are. Listeners of the What Fresh Health podcast can try Beachbody for free. You can get a special free Beachbody trial membership when you text laughing to 30 30 30. 
you will get free full access to the entire Beachbody On Demand platform. All the workouts, all the support, all the content, totally free by texting LAUGHING to 303030. Check it out. So today we're talking to James Breakwell. He's a professional comedy writer and amateur father of four girls ages eight and under. He's best known for his family humor Twitter account, Exploding Unicorn, which has more than a million followers. And if you follow us on Twitter, you see a lot of his stuff. Today's parent just called him the funniest dad on Twitter. And yes, he pretty much is. And his new book is Bare Minimum Parenting, The Ultimate Guide to Not Quite Ruining Your Child. Thanks for being with us, James. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So, James, your new book is full of everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I love to do research. And what I love about your book is that it's full of charts that are all completely made up. If you have to do research, it's not fun. So I I didn't want to write a a science book, you know, the science of parenting with this and that works. I kind of feel like that's all a waste. You you get to a point with your kid and you look at him, you're like, how did how did you end up like this? And there's no way to trace it back. No scientific study, no anecdotal evidence, no anything. I think we kind of at some stage just kind of end up how we end up. And that that's the whole premise of the book. All these people going out there and overachieving and and going the extra mile and just distressing themselves out to create these super kids. Like, where are these super adults? We all grow up and we're kind of mediocre. So I think in the long run, it averages out. And if it averages out anyway, why not get there in the easiest way possible? And you are preaching to the choir on our podcast because we talk a lot about that idea of like, okay, what is your big dilemma? Let's parse it out and see that if you took a group of 30-year-olds, if you could tell which one of them didn't make the travel soccer team, it's probably not going to happen. Exactly that. Yeah, that's the whole core premise of my book. But people, they they think it's like life or death. You look at how people stress out the internet about everything. It's like, go talk to another adult. You can't tell whose mom stayed home or whose mom worked or who breastfed or who bottle fed. I just, it all averages out. That's at least I hope it averages out. Otherwise, my kids are screwed. So I'm gonna, this book better be true. I have a fifth grader who's struggling with some social stuff. And my mantra right now is, Name your friends from fifth grade. Name your friends from fifth grade. I can't do it. I'm not friends with my friends from fifth grade anymore, so it probably doesn't matter that much. Yeah, exactly. You know, I had uh, one of my brothers, I'm I'm the oldest of seven kids, and one of my brothers couldn't tie his shoes till he was almost in fifth grade. And my parents were so laid back. We all overachieved academically, but my parents never pushed us at anything ever. And I I heard this years later, because he's so much younger than me, I wasn't in this house with him a lot, but it's like, how could you not let him tie his shoes till he was in fifth grade? That kid just got a 35 in his ACT and got a full ride to college. So I mean, wow. things th- things over time in the long run like that, that tying shoe thing seems like a huge red flag. But overall, eh, I guess it's okay. You have a metaphor that I love. And I really found this like I think this book is kind of slyly revolutionary. I mean, it's funny. That's the point of this book to be funny. But it really is sort of like he's right. Oh, my God, it doesn't matter. And you have this metaphor about talking about high school. Or the thing when you're in high school, who said what to who and who's going where, right? And who's wearing what are just all of earth shattering importance. And 30 seconds after you graduate, none of it matters anymore. And you said that parenting young kids is like that. These things only seem important. You will immediately not be able to remember what temperature you warmed the bottle up to as soon as you're done doing it. 
And it's true. And I had never thought of it that way before. Yeah. And you know, when you when you get out of high school, you think to yourself, I am never making that mistake again. I am so much wiser and so much smarter. And we fall right back into the same trap with parenting. We just, we get so obsessed, especially with what other parents think to us. Like when, when another mom or dad, especially on the internet, says you're doing something wrong, like it just, it gets under your skin. It, 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 it bothers me. It bothers everybody. But you sit back and look at it. It's like, why does it matter? Why do I care what they think? I don't care what anybody else thinks. I think that's the, the greatest thing we can do for ourselves is this training us, training ourselves to ignore that parental peer pressure. And maybe we'll get there someday. I think I'm probably better at it than most because I'm apathetic in general, but uh, you know, I, I've certainly been on the wrong end of it. I had a thing where I posted a picture of my kids in car seats and the internet just for days, I got so much backlash and I had to take a step back and think, why? Why does it even matter what they think? They can't go and strap my kids into car seats differently. There's no there's no car seat police. It's going to be okay. So that's that's what I'm trying to drive home with this book. Hopefully, hopefully it'll make somebody out there sleep a little easier. And we have referenced a bunch in our conversations. It's the return of high school. And you talk about that in your book, like the idea of, and I would argue without being too gendered, I do think this is a little harder for women for some reason. I think the interpersonal relationships with women, like I was a very insecure, wanting to fit in kind of high schooler. I went to college. I found my weird people. I became like, I don't care what anyone thinks of me. Why did I hang on to that stuff? And then it's like, I became a mom and I fell right back through that trap door to high school where it's like, does she think I'm doing a good job? Oh my God, does she see the pacifier and think he's too late to have a pacifier? And it's amazing how it's like a rotten floorboard and you're like, wait a minute, I'm back in the cafeteria, like holding my tray and feeling insecure again. Yeah, and it's, you know, I guess there's really, there's no way to quantify insecurity. There's no way to quantify parent shaming. But anecdotally, it does seem like a lot of times people are a lot harder on moms. Maybe I get a pass just because I'm a dad. It's like, oh, look at you. You you didn't burn the house down today. You get, right, a, you get a right. pass. And I think a lot of what you, uh, what you feel in pressure, it has a lot to do with what you open yourself up to. So like when I show everything I show, it's like, hey, look how I failed today. Like that's kind of how I frame it. And that's the only context you see me in. But I guess I'm not on there. Like I've never been on a parenting board where I asked for legitimate advice. You know, I've never gone to another parent and asked for help. And I think anytime you do that, you open yourself up. So maybe maybe I've just avoided it because I'm an introvert and, uh, and a hermit, but <laughs> who knows? <laughs> so that's a way to go. That's a way to go, guys. Just never talk to anyone and don't leave your house. The internet can be a source of advice you didn't even ask for, right? I mean, people might be a little more reluctant to tell you what you're doing wrong in the playground, although not always. But on the internet, I mean, I've written parenting humor. I wrote an article that was up on like Yahoo News when that was a big thing about how I knew what my kids were going to wear for Easter morning three weeks ahead of time and totally forgot what I was going to wear until we were already 10 minutes late for church and nothing fits. And, you know, like what I think is sort of standard boilerplate, this is how it is when you're a mom, written in what I thought was a funny way. And instead, I got a lot of comments Two things. Either I really needed to take better care of myself or I better watch out. My husband was going to leave me. They don't like when you stop when you stop looking your best. I'm like, I wasn't asking for your advice, guys. I was saying like hilarious Easter morning. I think the internet has turned this. Everybody else needs to have my advice and uh, know what I think they're doing wrong. There's an endless ability for people to do that, which is not good. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that's when parenting shaming strikes is when you least expect it. Like my big incident with the car seats, I wasn't asking, hey guys, are my kids strapped into the car seats correctly? It was a picture of the pig riding in the car with us. That was the whole point of the picture. And then people took it this whole other direction. Shaming like that comes from a place of insecurity. I really do. If you're lashing out on somebody on the internet, you're not doing it because you want to help anybody. I think it's because some, something you're worried about yourself and you want to validate uh, your own choice. 
choices. At least, at least I hope that's where it's coming from. But I've kind of come up with this uh, this philosophy. This didn't make the book, but it's uh, it's another column I've written for the Indie Star, like the parking lot rule. If it's not something you would say to a stranger in a grocery store parking lot, don't say it on the internet. Like you're, if if you're not going to go up and yell at somebody about their Easter morning dresses in you know in the parking lot, just walk away. This is not a you know. The, in fact, the, the number of conversations I would have with somebody in a parking lot is so small. I don't think I could even list it here. So that's that's what I try to live by. You know, James, I'm kind of an overachieving parent. And I like that at the end of the book, Amy says, kind of, I'm just going to editorialize and say um, a little more than kind of. We live in, you know, we live in New York City and it's its own special kind of, you know, intense. I had a car seat lady. I hired the car seat lady to come in front of my apartment building where we pulled our car out of the garage so she could make sure our car seat was in correctly. Like you got a guy in New York City for all these things. But at the end of the book, you say, if you are an overachieving parent and that's how you roll, then okay, great. But don't feel like you have to be that way if that's not who you are. And I liked that sort of, there's room for everyone. Yeah, I didn't want to strike a blow against parent shaming by going out and shaming a bunch of parents. I mean, if that's, if you're, if you're being an overachieving parent and you enjoy it, you know, that's great. You can, you can absolutely parent that way. I just don't want people who don't want to overachieve to feel like that's what they have to do. You know, parent how you want to parent, raise how you want to raise your kids. Just don't feel trapped into doing these extra things because it's what people on the internet tell you you have to do. It's okay to be lazy, to take it easy. And, and I'm the guy who's giving you permission with all of my authority based on nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is so much what so many people in our audience want and need to hear. It's okay, guys. This book is so hilarious. And like I said, I think sort of slightly revolutionary. So you guys should read it. It's called Bare Minimum Parenting, The Ultimate Guide to Not Quite Ruining Your Child. James, tell us where we can find the book and where we can find Exploding Unicorn. You can find the book on uh, all major online realtors, uh, realtors, no, don't buy a house, uh, retailers. I, I swear I'm more literate than this when writing, I promise. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, all those places and on physical, uh, physical book retailers. Uh, you can find me on YouTube if you just search for James Breakwell, or you can find me on Twitter at Exploding Unicorn without the E, or on Facebook, Exploding Unicorn with the E, I'm all those places. And by the way, Slyly Revolutionary is the nicest compliment I have ever received, and I'm going to put that on my tombstone. <laughs> wow, Amy, you came a long way in this episode from not knowing James to being the head of his tombstone. That's right. Good work, Amy. <laughs> you guys, we loved this book. It is exactly in line with all of our What Fresh Hell philosophies, and you guys should definitely check it out. And James, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. And now, some signs you might be a bare minimum parent from the What Fresh Hell podcast. You don't have a laundry day. You have a laundry, maybe I'll get to it, month. The pizza place has a standing order ready for you most nights of the week. When a friend asks you at drop-off what teacher your kids have this year, you respond, please don't ask me hard questions this early in the morning. All your donations to the bake sale come in plastic wrap. Other kids get quinoa broccoli bites for snack. Your kids get the leftover apples from McDonald's Happy Meals. If your kids have spent literally any time in a pool, you figure that counts as a shower. When your kid asks you for math homework help, you respond, check YouTube. There's somebody on there who understands algebra. You play hide and seek with your kids by just continually yelling, oh, no, I can't find you. Just stay in your hiding place. I'm sure I'll find you soon. Over and over again. The only exercise you get is running from the PTA lady with her committee sign-up clipboard. This has been Some Signs You Might Be a Bare Minimum Parent from the What Fresh Hell podcast. 
Amy, what was in your HelloFresh family box this week? You know, we were big fans of the chicken pineapple quesadillas. Mm. Those were good. Yummy. They were inhaled. My son came in absolutely ravenous after soccer practice. He's like tearing through the snack cabinet and he's, what's for dinner? Honestly said, I don't know, but it's HelloFresh. And he was like, okay, good. Because he he knows that whatever it is, is going to be something he likes. And that's family dinner fuss-free, and I can't believe it. Guys, with HelloFresh, you don't have to plan dinner or gather the ingredients, which is the bane of my personal existence. (laughs) It's just a box that shows up on your doorstep in recyclable packaging. You get delicious filling meals for less than $10 a serving and free shipping. We just had this like Asian-y kind of pork tacos. It was delicious. If you need to pause or skip your HelloFresh delivery, it's one click, no hassle. This is so easy. For $20 off your first three HelloFresh boxes for a total of $60 off, visit HelloFresh.com slash Mother60 and enter the code Mother60. And guys, I know you can do math, but I'm going to tell you for those of you who haven't had your coffee yet that that is like getting six free meals. Okay, go to HelloFresh.com forward slash Mother60 and enter the code Mother60 for $20 off your first three boxes. Okay, guys, we're back. We are really drilling down on this bare minimum parenting, Amy. And I have a whole new category for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's talk about food and school lunches. Okay. Pretty much everybody just said, just do the school lunch and it makes your life easier, which, yep, that's, I agree. School lunches. And I will tell you that like having been in my kid's cafeteria, they're not eating the vegetables and fruit with the school lunch. They're just like eating a slice of pizza for lunch. So you might want to, you know, boost them up a little bit with some fruits or vegetables at the end of the day because they're not eating them. Once a month, I get from my son's high school a PDF of what he's ordered for lunch in the high school cafeteria over the last month. That's hilarious. How big brother of you. It's pizza, smoothie, cookie, smoothie, pizza, pizza, smoothie, cookie, cookie, smoothie, pizza. That's all he gets. At least there's a smoothie involved. And you know what? I don't care. You know, I don't care. I make sure we have a little bit of protein in the morning. I make sure we have some vegetables at dinner. He's six feet tall. It seems to be working. Yeah. He seems to be growing just fine. Growing up just fine. Yvonne says frozen raffles for my kids. They don't even bother heating it up. Now that is some bare minimum parenting. Props to you, Yvonne. I heat them up, but we have a lot of frozen waffles. I had to have a non-parent explain to me. You never have those like aha moments that somebody gives you and they're not even in the category. Like I was complaining to a friend of mine about how I didn't know what I was going to do for the kids and I was just going to have to make hot dogs or something for dinner. And she said, but don't they like it better when you make hot dogs for dinner? And it was like, Uh you're right. When I give them hot dogs, they like that better. I don't know why I needed to have that explained to me, but I stopped feeling guilty about the hot dogs and pizza and chicken nuggets after that because my kids were like, woohoo. <laughs> so on the, it's much harder, right? To spend time making the frittata and have everybody turn up their noses at it than, than to do the bare minimum and have everybody feel like it was a big win. Well, and I will say we've talked a lot about this in picky eating and things like that. And we have talked about holding the line, which I think is important. And I will say last night I was thinking about, I don't know, we were recording that picky eater episode and it was two years ago now. And I remember being so beaten down at that point and just being like, our dinners are a nightmare of just fighting and misery. I will say we held the line really strongly of like, eat what's on your plate. There is nothing else for dinner. We are not allowed to talk about the food at dinner. Those were our rules. 
and our dinner is totally transformed. Like last night, we were in a bit of a rush. I got Chinese food. Everybody ate what was on their plate. Nobody complained. And it's just, I've been cooking a lot and our dinners have transformed by holding the line. So I will say, don't just make them hot dogs and have a nice dinner for yourself. Like hold the line on those family meals. But often we'll have days where like yesterday, oh, CCD and we got running late and I forgot this one at a Girl Scout event. If, if we throw hot dogs, a frozen pizza in that night, it's fine. You don't have to do it seven nights a week. I want to go to what Jessa said about this. This is transformative here for me. She says she has two seriously picky eaters. She gave up on the battle and she said, we have a hot tub instead. And that's our family dinner time. We put the devices away. We sit in the hot tub together for 15 minutes and talk. That's a great idea. It's fun. If family dinners are too much of a nightmare and everyone's just complaining about the food, although I think you can battle back from that, I'm just saying. Find another thing that's family time. My brother and sister-in-law have a fire pit in their yard and like they sit around the fire pit for whatever, half an hour a night. Like find some other way. We're reading Harry Potter right now as a family. We sit around and read Harry Potter. Like find some other way to spend that family time if it's not family dinners. This is bare minimum for me. We tend to go out to dinner on Sunday nights and it doesn't have to be, it can be like chicken wings tavern kind of place, burgers, where we go out for dinner because I don't know, something about Sundays, I am exhausted. I don't want to deal with what's for dinner. I'm already planning the week ahead. And if we have a family dinner at home, somebody's late, somebody's leaving early and, and, and somebody wants to get back to homework. But if we go out to a restaurant, they're captive. And so, and I'm not cooking or cleaning. That for me is a bare minimum thing that really works. Amy has a funny idea. I know Amy from Texas. Top Chef Home Edition. Two kids, one special ingredient. Use any fridge or pantry items. And the winner gets a Top Chef medal. Actually, mom's ancient debate medal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty funny. I don't know. I feel like I just picture my kids destroying the kitchen, but I might try it. That is kind of brilliant. She says, tonight's ingredient is leftover rotisserie chicken. Results will be judged on taste, creativity, and plating. That, I mean, if you can pull this off, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. I just picture my kids are also 10, 8, and 6. Like They might be a little on the young end for this, but we might try it. I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work, then I'm going to get a hot tub because it's one or the other. <laughs> right. So you're like, if my old debate medal doesn't motivate them, we have to put a hot tub in our <laughs> New York City apartment. So you better really hope that Top Chef works out for you. Our downstairs neighbors are really hoping that this, this Top Chef idea is a good idea. I think it is. Yeah, they better really pray it works out. Uh, Amy, let's talk about playtime and screen time. Okay. I mean, we have to. Screen time is the bottom rung of bare minimum parenting. The more bare minimum your parenting is, the more screen time there might be. But uh, actually, some of these ideas that people gave us are really more about playtime, I think. The sort of uh, uninvolvement that leads to more creativity with your kids. Let's start out by saying that bare minimum parenting, the danger of it is your kids are going to spend six hours a day on screens. That's the downside of bare minimum parenting. So we got to have some screen limits in place. You got to say it's 45 minutes a day of screens, whatever it is, put that in place. And then you can move on to these bare minimum parenting tips. You just don't want bare minimum parenting to slide into like, and my kids are on screens six hours. Because for you, if for no other reason, I mean, my kids, we all got together with the cousins for Thanksgiving a couple years ago. Everybody was saying, oh, the kids were all so good. They were downstairs on screens playing, you know, let's all kill each other 2018 for hours. <laughs> I love that game, by the way. It's really yeah. fun. My kids are yeah. big fans. So they played it for 
hours and it was finally time for dinner. And oh my gosh, we haven't heard from the kids. It's been so great. So after like four hours of chatting and prepping, the kids come upstairs from the basement for dinner with spirals for eyes, you know, like he's not home right now, Mrs. Torrance. And they were a disaster. And that's not good for you either. If this is all about doing the bare minimum and kicking back and reaping the benefits, I think you do have to put in some rules around this or else you're going to have hell to pay later anyway, which is not what you want. Bare minimum parenting is about reaping rewards and sitting back and relaxing, not breaking up fights from kids who are too hyped up from too much video game play. This takes me to MEB78's comment. I don't freak out if they're bored. Boredom has bred some of their best play. And I, listen up, guys, am not a cruise director. I love this advice. It's such perfect advice. And it's something I have three and I fall into it a lot. Like I'm the crew. Okay, next up, guys, look at the whiteboard. Next up, it's card game time. Next up, I had my sisters too for the weekend. And so I have five kids, you know, 10 and under. And I really let them play. And they did make a mess, but like pillow forts and they we have a slack line outdoor. Guys, best $35 I never spent because it was a gift, but just two lines that go between two trees in our backyard. They'll be on it for an hour. It's like a clothesline, right? But it's about 18 inches off the ground. Like a belt between two trees and then another one higher up so they can hold on to the top. And they just battle on it. They do tricks on it. They love this thing. It's two belts strung between a tree. <laughs> we have to put the link up on the show page. Guys, I've seen her kids in action in their backyard on this and they're like, watch me, watch me, watch me. Yeah. And they're like, oh, an hour later, you know, and it will get too cold soon. But like slackline, guys, it's the greatest. And then when the kids come to me and say, what are we doing next? I say, more of the same, guys. Go play. Go find something to do. We'll talk about, I want to hear the difference because I think there is one, but explain to me the line because Emmy's saying, don't be a cruise director. And you're saying, I have the whiteboard. And I say, now you're going to play card games. Like talk about how the whiteboard for you is the line between being a cruise director and letting them figure it out? Like, how do you find the middle ground? I was actually saying, like, I overuse the whiteboard of as the cruise director. Like, next on the Lido deck, we're going to have shuffleboard. Like, I'm trying to back out of that a little bit and be like, it's free time. So free time is for you. If you're bored, lie around and be bored, guys. Like, when a kid complains they're bored, it's fine. Boredom is part of life. It's good to learn how to deal with it. Like, I have tried to back off when I have all the kids in the house, there's a temptation to be like four to four fifteen card game, four fifteen screens, five o'clock. Now it's time for football on the yard, and I've organized it. And here's flag football things that I've gotten each of you. I'm trying to stop doing that and just say it's playtime. I mean, we have a big yard, we have some woods. There are things for kids to do at this house, and they've got to figure it out themselves. It's the Goonies. Go out and find a magical kingdom, guys. Or a dead body in the woods. Just just, just don't come in. Fine. Whatever <laughs> it takes. Just don't come inside. Tamaza said in response to MEB, she said, my kid's boredom used to cause me so much anxiety until one day I woke up and said, their boredom, their problem. Ah, the relief. I'm no longer a factor in the boredom's problem. Oh, God, is that good advice? I love that yeah. advice. It's exactly right. Like when you have a two-year-old, bored kids are a problem because your bored kid is going to like pull off the, all the hair off the dog or something, you know, like bored two-year-old can be a problem. A bored seven-year-old is not your problem. Boredom leads to inspiration. You know, J.K. Rowling was sitting on a train looking out the window, bored. And then she says it just like it fell into her lap. 
what if there was a boy who didn't know that he was a wizard and then one day he found out and he had to go to a boarding school for witches and wizards? It just the, the idea just fell into her lap because she was bored and unoccupied. So listen, your kid could have written Harry Potter by now, but look at them. They're just laying around watching screens. Get it together, parents. Okay. All right. Let's talk about hygiene because this is an important Again, this is like bare minimum. Do you allow the uh, basketball coach to point out that your kid smells or do you step in just before that? Let's let's see what our listeners have to say. Okay, lay one on me. Jennifer, Jennifer, she says, brushing teeth. I can't sit on top of seven and nine-year-olds and force a toothbrush in their mouths. I ask my kids every day to brush their teeth and we talk about the consequences of not taking care of their teeth. But in the end, it's their responsibility. It has been a relief to go bare minimum in this department. I must say, I do go bare minimum in this department. We go to the dentist every six months and the hygienist will say, so are we flossing at home, mom? And I'll say, I don't know. Maggie, have you been flossing at home? <laughs> like, I, it's not me, you know? Like, like, Oh God, none of my kids have ever flossed their teeth. Are they supposed to be doing that? Yeah, they are supposed to be flossing their teeth. And, and I do feel guilty, but I'm also like, don't ask me if my kids who have hands and, you know... <laughs> And our sentient beings are flossing their teeth. Like, I'm telling them to. Please tell them. The cavities might be a nice deterrent. I have a trick for this. It's been working really well. I don't get involved in the toothbrushing, but we do this. It's become kind of a funny thing. And it's the blow check right on the way out the door or before bed. I'm like, come here, blow check. And they blow in my face. And if it smells like toothpaste, they're clear. And if not, <laughs> I send them back upstairs. And so they, they do it now. But that's my only involvement. And right before bed, I'm like, blow, blow in my face. And I'm like, nope, you didn't brush your teeth. Go back. And it's kind of funny and fun. And then like, you know, they have to brush it well enough that their mouth smells like toothpaste. That's the only test. I love this bare minimum bath time tip from Maggie. Maggie is the mom of a two-year-old and a 10-month-old. And spoiler alert, Maggie is also my cousin. Oh, okay. So she says we have bath time three times a week together. So she gets in the bathtub with the two-year-old and the 10-month-old, whether we need it or not, she says. Haha. Not stressing about getting them in the tub every night gives us more time for play when we get home from work and it moves bedtime along when it's time. I love this idea. Yeah. And the other thing is it makes it kind of fun. You know, I never did that. And I probably wouldn't because my eight-year-old has developed a really funny phrase where I'm like, I think we should take a shower. And he always says, I wasn't planning on getting wet today. And the idea of being wet with my two kids, that sounds kind of like a nightmare to me. But I think if it's fun for you, make it fun. And I certainly bathe my kids together. Bath time is a batching project until a certain age. Oh, absolutely. Oh, everybody in. <laughs> yeah. Well, You'll know. Let's just say you'll know when it's time to not do that anymore if you have kids of, of different... Uh... I can clearly picture like my kids' last bath where I kind of <laughs> looked at them and I was like, wait, why are they in nude in a tub together? This is insane. It just, it just comes across. Yeah. This is the thing. Alexandra says baths. Both of my kids are prepubescent. They get a bath when they smell or are visibly dirty probably twice a week. Added bonus, they have the soft skin and hair. Eczema is the thing of the past. So like the overbathing is something we've also talked about. Less is more with the baths. Until they hit a certain age. And then you will have to repeatedly explain to your children that they uh, inherited their greasy hair from you and they are going to have to do something about it more often than, you know, <laughs> when you beg them to. It becomes apparent. Did you see Star is Born? No. Does she have greasy hair? No, uh, he does. Like such greasy hair. And I was like, wow, this might usher in a new era for our boys. He needs to take 
a shower or a bath. He needs his mom to take him upstairs and be like, you forgot to do your hair. He needs somebody who loves him to be his bottom and say, (laughs) you need to take a shower now. There you go. I want to give a shout out. This is a random one, but it's from my sister. And I actually think this is a really good one. She says her bare minimum is birthday parties. You don't have to have a birthday party with friends from school every year or ever. We have a family gathering, grandparents, cousins, and it's plenty. And it's fine to RSVP no to a party invitation from your kids' friends for no reason other than you don't feel like going. Good advice. And you guys all know my bare minimum on this is goodie bags are from the devil and do not participate in them. (laughs) Bare minimum. My daughter's having a birthday party next weekend. Uh, I put on the invitations, like no presents. And I put underneath it, like, really, like, I mean it. This isn't a no gifts where everybody's still going to come with, like, please, nothing. I have the moms, of course, the moms reaching out to me like, but really? I'm like, no, really, really? She does not need anything. Really? She's on board with this. We're good. And yeah, she was all like, what's our goodie bags? I'm like, nothing. We're not giving good. Like, we're doing less. My kids are too old for that nonsense now. Anyway, so I'm lowering the kaboom. Bare minimum birthdays. Guys, we could do nine episodes on bare minimum parenting. We only got to about half of this stuff. So we may do a follow-up episode because this is a fun topic. And there, you know, it's like our takeaway is let yourself go. Let it go, guys. So if you want to be bare minimum about everything, guess what? You can be bare minimum about listening to our podcast. You should subscribe. Have you guys subscribed yet? Because subscribing means our next episode just shows up on your phone. You don't have to find it, download it. Oh, wait, is it Wednesday? Oh, let me go go to iTunes. It's just there on your phone and it helps us. So if you haven't subscribed, please do so. You can go to our website, which is whatfreshhealthpodcast.com. And I'm going to put up instructions on the sidebar for how to subscribe if that sounds really complicated to you. Best of all, it's free, by the way. It's free. And we always want to continue our discussion about bare minimum parenting. So come back to Facebook and talk some more on the link to this episode at facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. We're also on Instagram at whatfreshhellcast. And we always have a really funny conversation there as well. We love hearing from you there. And on Twitter at WFH podcast. And we are on the web at www.whatfreshhellpodcast.com. That's an old deluxe alert, the www part. Back in my day. You know, I have to stop saying that. Go bare minimum. (laughs) All right, just whatfreshhellpodcast.com, guys. (laughs) And with that, keep it bare minimum, guys, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.